This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Hey everybody, good to be back. Welcome to the Clay Young Show here on Podcast 225 iTunes and on that Talk 107.3 mobile app. Week before last, we had several podcasts in a week. And last week we did one, which was before everything that's been going on. It had been our regular routine. And at the end of last week, we didn't do a show talking about what was happening with officers. A friend of mine made a request about that with the show that we did. And actually, it's the show you're going to hear today. It's our conversation with former Baton Rouge Police Chief Jeff LaDuff. We sat to record this interview before the series of funerals that went on Friday, Saturday, and then this past Monday. There's a lot to talk about in the aftermath of what happened with Alton Sterling, what happened to these police officers, and what's going on in the town now. And I think the subject that everyone is kind of looking away from and not really wanting to make eye contact with is the outcome of the Department of Justice's decision. Either way, there is going to be a reaction. Now, you heard on the show with Ted James, you heard on the show with Lamont Cole and Sandra Sterling, you heard a little bit of it on the show with former Chief Pat Englade, that if the Department of Justice decides not to charge these officers, that the reaction could be violent. Okay, and so we'll spend some time talking about that next week. We'll also let you hear, we sat with David Tatman, who sits on the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board. We'll talk a little bit about what's happening there. Next week, we'll get back into some of the regular discussions. But one of the other things that we will do is chat about, as I said, what the future may look like for Baton Rouge. And I've got a few surprises about this political season. Now, Back to today's show. We sat with former police chief Jeff LaDuff and his son, Kelly LaDuff, who is, as you will hear in the show, extremely bright. He's well-spoken. He's, he is passionate. The interesting thing, and I say it in the body of the show, is they sound so much alike when they're talking that there's going to be times in the show where you're hearing them and you may not know which one of them is talking, which is interesting. The chief has really worn the heaviness of what has been going on in this town. And you'll hear it in his voice. He is one of the most intense, passionate people that I've ever met. And a lot of that will come through in this interview. And I'd love your feedback on it. You can follow us on Twitter at ClayYoungBR. You can reach me directly on Facebook. And of course, you can email me through the podcast 225 website, clay at podcast225.com. And I look forward to hearing from you there. Quick break and then back with former Baton Rouge Police Chief Jeff LaDuff. And don't forget, we sat to record this interview before the funeral services. So it's that perspective that you will hear brought into that discussion. 
And that discussion is next. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with Jeff and Kelly LaDuff. Now, Jeff is, I think as of today, the most appearances on the podcast are yours. Now, Richard Condon ain't going to like that a whole lot, but I I guess that's probably a personal problem from where you're coming from, right? Listen, don't tell him. (laughs) Don't tell him. Don't tell him? Don't tell him. (laughs) I'm sure he'll figure it out. And Kelly LaDuff. All right, Kelly has been on NBC, CNN. Whom else have you been with? Man, uh, MSNBC, New York. I don't don't even know anymore. Now, it's going to be hard for y'all listening to this on the podcast because it's at, there are going to be times in this thing when you're not going to know which who's talking, <laughs> Jeff or, or, or Kelly. Uh, before, we get into the, um, before we get into the crux of what we're going to talk about with the last few weeks, I do want to take some time at the beginning. We'll do it again at the end. Talk about open eyes. Open eyes. What's that? Well... It's me getting off the couch is what it is. Uh, you know, Clay, like I told you before, I wasn't doing anything else. I, I retired. I, I was going to ride my bike, grow a ponytail, get their rings, call it a day. And uh, my son came up with a business model. And uh, I'll let him tell you about the business model. I mean, was, I, honestly, it was tragedy. Um, okay. My uncle was uh, murdered in Baton Rouge, uh, back in September of 2010. Yeah. And uh, what people don't realize is that I was in charge of Canadian National Railway at the time in Baton Rouge. I was the lead manager there, and uh, my father was seated chief of police. Nearly 1,000 employees under you, huh? Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. Um, And I happened to be on a vacation. I was down towards New Orleans, had a newborn, uh, me and my wife's first time really getting away. For my parents, it was a great opportunity. First time as grandparents to spoil be the kids. Yeah, spoil the baby. We're, we're not around. They they can just eat them up. And uh, my phone went off that morning, uh, 4 a.m. or so, and uh, my manager sent me a text message. Said, "Hey, we got a body on the ground, uh, on a right on the tracks." I said, uh, "Text back, BRPD involved. You need something from me? I need to come that way." He said, "No, we got it. Uh, a couple trains stopped. Nobody's got a hot car." meaning Exxon, Formosa, nobody was waiting on a specific car. Didn't even contact my dad. Uh, unbeknownst to me, he was getting the same text messages, except for him it was a homicide. Uh, it took a couple hours later for us to realize it was uh, my mom's youngest brother, my uncle, uh, who was mentally ill, who I was very, very close to. And uh, on the heels of it, I just felt like it could not be for, for nothing. Uh, a lot like how I feel about what's happening in Baton Rouge right now. Um, you've got to take these bad things and force something good to come out of them. And uh, I remember the classes that he did during the whole Derek Todd Lee deal. Yeah. And uh, women needed it. They appreciated it. I went to a couple of them and saw the response. So 
I drew up a business model, and in all fairness, I thought that we would only do classes for women. I did not know that businesses would start calling us. And this is, and, and the the initial start of it was when? In mid-2011 is when we really started talking about it. So you're you're more than five years into this thing. Uh, right, right at it. And yeah. in the beginning. Man, I didn't realize it had been that long since oh, yeah. we started talking about this. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, it, it, you know, it started off as a crawl. We I went through... Um, what was it, Living Social and different yeah. things, just trying to get ladies signed up. Um, our first class was every woman in our family, everyone that we loved. We did them first. Um, right. And we honed our, our, our program and our, our sessions, and businesses started calling, and we've not looked back since. So here you are now. You're doing this. You have over 30 years in law enforcement Kelly's got all these years having run businesses. You guys come together. I mean, you've actually run other businesses here as well. So yes. you've got a business background. I mean, you were the top executive for the Baton Rouge Police Department, and you're starting this business. What, did anything about it make you a little apprehensive at first when you started? You know, I wasn't used to the public market. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the private market. I, I'm a public market sure. guy, you know, uh, work for government. Mm-hmm. And uh, just getting used to how you negotiate, how you handle business. We had budgets. We knew what our budget was. We worked inside of our budget. Here, it's a little different. It's it's what you bring to the table right. and what you can negotiate out of it. And uh, I tell you, I have learned that private money is a lot better than public money. So, yep, it, it's you know, that's a big thing. <laughs> As he sips his coffee. <laughs> As I sip my coffee. So let's talk about why we are here. July 5th, you are where? Uh, actually, this is just after midnight, so I assume you, like most people, you're, you're down for the night. And I know you're a late owl because that week we must have talked a few mornings right. past 1 o'clock in right. the morning. But that night, where were you when this happened? I was home. Um, I didn't get the call until early morning Tuesday, uh, around 6.30. I, I got a call, and uh, somebody told me what had happened. And that was an officer-involved shooting. And, you know, so I started making calls to see what was going on. Okay. I reached out to Dad and uh, see how he was, you know, if they were still out, what they had going. And uh, What was his know, reaction to you? Well, busy. You know, yeah. he was still in it. And... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at that time, it's just they're working the case, you know, and uh, so just tell people again what that's like for you having been on the job when this happens and you're at the house and you get this call because we're going to move to Sunday as well and talk a little bit about Sunday and uh, and how Kelly and I had to kind of, you know, keep the tiger in the cage in a lot of ways. But talk about that a little bit. Well, when you're there. For six years you, you, that I was there, you never had one of those days that you forgot you were the chief, meaning, and I guess I can explain it best this way. Two years after I retired, my mother, we were sitting at her house for Easter Sunday, uh, Easter, Easter Mass, mm-hmm. and you know we went to Mass, we came back, and we're sitting there, we're eating dinner, and uh, after dinner you get into that that law where yeah. everybody kind of spread out on something and right. you know 
you're relaxing and you're getting into that nap mode. And my mother never calls the family together for any kind of talk. That's not who my mother was. This particular Easter Sunday, she said, everybody be quiet. I have something to say. Two years after I've retired, she, she looked at me and she said, I'm glad to have my son back. And I said, Ma, I was here last year. I don't know what you're talking about. She said, no, your smiles return. Hmm. And, and for me, I hadn't realized then what that means because I would enjoy my family. I would enjoy my time off. But always in the back of your mind, you worried about what's going on inside the city because it's yours. It's your responsibility. It's your charge. It's your oath to go out there and see what, what you can do to make that situation better. Right. So it was always, it's always in your mind. It's the, it's the last prayer I prayed every night, and it was the first prayer I prayed, prayed every morning. And so and it is. now this call happens. I'm sure you almost had an instinct that something was wrong because, you know, and all the times we've talked after something like this, you always had a feeling almost creepy uh, because yeah. of Sunday and the conversation we had about that before it went on. So Dab tells you, Chief Dabity tells you what happens, then what? You know, we talked a couple of times throughout the day. I, yeah. I didn't go. I didn't see him. I knew they were busy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were talking about how they were going to handle this. With everything that's out there and the transparency that's needed today yeah. in handling cases like this, yeah. they were discussing and on phones with all branches of, of, of law enforcement. And... You know, later that afternoon, you know, is when he was telling me that he thought they were going to be moving this over to either the state police or the, uh, and it turned out they moved it over to the federal government. So by Tuesday evening, the city was on the brink. Yeah. Because of all of the electeds who had chimed in. We spent a couple of hours on the phone that Tuesday evening kind of talking through it as it was happening. Watching it. Because I had just gotten back into town Monday afternoon. Right. And so by the time my head hit the pillow on Monday, it was, yeah. it was done. And then I'm right. back in the office on Tuesday morning. So, I, you know, and I'm not coming up for air because I, I've been gone a few days. So I'm all about working through my to-do list. And I keep the television on, but it's muted in my office and it's on CNBC anyway. Right. So... By the time I left later in the day for an appointment, I'm hearing about this, and I had a couple of phone calls, and then I called you to ask what had gone on. And when you started telling me about it, it was crazy. Well, a couple of hours later, you tell me there's a video. Right. That's that's the first time you know we knew that there was a video. I heard I got a call that a video was out, and uh, I think my son called me and said he saw it on the internet. Is uh, is how I learned about it. What, what, when did you see it? I, I was actually, I was sent the video. Um, oh, you got the video? Yeah. I, there was a huge wave, I think, trickled out. And it was funny because Lamont Cole spoke to it on here. Right. Um, I think some folks really close, I, I, I know who the female was who recorded it. And I think she sent it out to a group of, of guys and, and girls that she felt like had influence. And then I think they sent it to much of the same. So I had received it from one of those outlets, and uh, I immediately called my dad. I said, there's a video. 
that there is a video, and I'm hearing it's more than one. So you saw it before Jeff? Uh, we, uh, we watched it at the same, same time. time. Oh, yeah, what right. was your reaction when you saw this video? You know, I, I'll tell you for me first, I, I think for everybody uh, watching something, that graphic play out, maybe for ex-military, for police officers, may have been something that they've seen more often than others. But I think for the first time, just your everyday person got to see what it is that's happening, you know, in our streets. Not often, but just violence, period. I what, mean, you got to see it up close. What was your reaction? I mean, I mean what was your, your, when I say reaction, what did you think about what you were seeing in terms of who was responsible, what was going on? Because you're not the average viewer. You lived with a law enforcement expert, yeah. and you grew up hearing, I'm sure, Jeff talk about best practices for law mm -hmm. enforcement. What'd you think? The, the first thing I thought, I knew we didn't have everything. I thought, where's the dash cam? Where's the store cam? And uh, much like I told the group today in the presentation, you wouldn't go see an hour and 36 minute movie and see 15 minutes of it and then write a review about it. You wouldn't open a book and read 10 pages in the middle of that book and then be an expert on that, on that subject. I, I don't know yet. And I still don't know until that's, I see everything. I can't, I can't. That's that's what I said. But your reaction when you saw it? Same thing. Let's wait. Let's see it all. You know, uh, I know, having been involved in investigations for a long time, and, and and sitting there not doing the investigation, but my task was to work with the family, and uh, let those guys give those guys what they needed to do the investigation. And I know that they're going to collect. All the witnesses, they're going to collect all the video. They're going to collect all of everything that they have there. So I knew there was more because I know there's onboard cameras. I know there's body cameras because it's 70805, and yep. all those guys have those cameras. I'm on that committee. And uh, my my thing was when we first looked at each other was there's more. Let's, let's see everything mm -hmm. before a decision is made. Well, and, and let me say this, Clay. We, we knew it was more, but – we still cried. Yeah. I, I thought about the why? mother. Uh, because it's life. Like I've been saying, dead is dead. I've gotten that phone call. I, I, it does not. I, man, look, I went to two public schools in middle school, a public elementary school, and Catholic high and high school. I have friends that are white, black, Vietnamese, you name it. With me, I see good people and bad people, period. Amen. You've either done me right or you've done me wrong. I don't That's care. That's the bottom line. Bottom That's line. how I feel. That's how I was raised. But my heart still hurt because I watched my grandmother go through that <laughs> and losing a child by violence. And I've not known what his mother looked like when that happened. And I knew him. I called him Big Boy. He used to give me my DVDs that I used you to play. You Sterling. Yeah. We, he used to bring me DVDs and incense for my nightclub that I had downtown. Um, he would bring him to one of my security guards that he was really good friends with. So just in passing, I would shake his hand. I'd say thank you. I'd holler at him. We'd let him come in the club for free at times. I mean, really? I had, yeah, no issues with him at all. Um, so my heart hurt in that manner. But as far as forming an opinion on right or wrong on the police department, I knew we had a very small piece. Here it is. What's the first time during the week after this happened that you got pissed off? Um. I, you know, I, I think when when folks started calling for violence, hmm. protest is a constitutionally protected thing. Violence is against the law. 
And for me, that's hurt, you know, no. Let's let the process, if you can't trust the federal government, the DOJ and the FBI, our the, the U.S. Attorney for the Middle District, Walt Green, if you can't trust these people, their reputations are above reproach. I mean, then who can we trust? That we need to just close shop and everybody go back to the old days of taking care of themselves. Let's not have law enforcement then if we can't trust that at least somebody can investigate this and be impartial. So our city, man, I love this city. We've talked about it. I, I love this city. Yeah. I hate to see it destroyed. You know, and and I didn't know what violence meant, okay? I didn't know if we were going to be like Ferguson and Milwaukee, uh, um, Baltimore. Baltimore and have buildings destroyed and people injured and, and see our citizens and our law enforcement just, I mean, at it in the middle of the street. It, it was a, It was a scary thought. It really was. You don't have to name names because there's really no profit in it, but elected officials here and the way that they, you could name names if you want to, but elected officials here and the way that they responded to this. I was disappointed in a lot of it. Why? I think that an elected official's role is that of in the middle, have opinions, but don't bring harm to either side of of the issue. Because there's people on both sides of this issue. Yeah. There's families on both sides of this issue. Yep. There's hurt on all sides of this issue. Mm-hmm. There's law enforcement officers. I think Montrell said it best. I'm catching hell in this uniform, and I'm catching hell out of it. I, I mean, he does he deserve that? This kid never hurt anybody. Right. You know? And 90% of law enforcement officers are good, honest people. Right. Who, who chose this job. Just like I did, I raised my son on this salary, on this city salary, and did the best I could with what I was making. But my task wasn't to go out there and hurt nobody. I've never been asked by any of my previous bosses to go and hurt anybody. And, and I never, you know, I didn't. We, I, I don't know what's happened. You know, I, I heard somebody talking, a national figurehead, I, I don't even remember his name. But some local guy that chatters out of New York. And, you know, he's like, I, I know that they talk about this in roll call. I've been around this. They talk about what? Shooting young inner city kids in, in their roll calls. Like, if you can get one today, get one. I've never known, man. I, we pray every night. What? Yeah, we pray every night. Wait a minute. The claim was? That. That this is it's that premeditated. something that, that law enforcement, not in Baton Rouge. Okay. Not in Baton Rouge, okay. just a national thing. Wow. You know, that he knows that that's what happens when law enforcement talk. No, I've never heard anybody say anything like that. Never. We The prayer's always been, my God, I hope it's not me. Because just think, of, you're taking human life, man. I don't care what the circumstances are. You're a human being, unless you are emotionally disturbed that affects all of us i have a friend who was a a police officer down the river and this was years ago 
He was working in down event, the river yeah, around New Orleans area. Well, so, I know uh, what you mean, but yeah. everybody else has yeah, yeah, down the river. That's right. <laughs> you yeah, you they, two are country boys. Y'all have <laughs> they, to, don't, they don't know. You're in Baton Rouge now, <laughs> south of here. <laughs> he, he was with a little department, and I can't remember which one. But anyway, he's working an event, and a kid pulls on his gun. That there was a fight that started at this event, and a kid pulled on his gun, and he had a. There was a tool we used to carry called a PR-24. It was a, a, a weapon that kind of looks like something you see in martial arts. It had yeah. a hand, handle on it. And, yeah. and he had it out because he thought he was going to have to use it to break up this big fight. And the kid got away from his parents, pulled on his gun, and he struck, thinking it was a grown person, to hit the arm. And by the time his head came around, he hit a child inside the head. Mm. He was done, man. He never worked in law enforcement again. I mean, just from the psychological damage that was done to him. Just how we do this for people, man. I, I would give my life for anybody in this city. I would run to be in front of anything that was trying to harm them. And for people to think that I'm evil and, and, and foul and when I leave my house every day with the right intentions. Every day. All you had to do was call my number. All you had to do, police just had to say go. And I would stand in front of danger for anyone in this community, be it somebody I know or a total stranger. And I've told my wife oftentimes, if it happened to me and they laid me down, don't be mad. It's what I was made to do. It just happened to be my time. But what do you think hearing him say that? You know, I, I understand it. You know, uh, I told CNN this the other day. We live in a chemical corridor uh, in this nation. You can go get a job sitting on your butt watching computer screens and make seventy to $90,000 for a fact. What would make a man sign up to be a police officer in this community for what, $33,000, $35,000? Right. Take that number and divide it by the number of pay periods, bi-weekly payments throughout the course of a year. It's not a lot of money to put that vest on. That was already a challenge. So just imagine the ridicule that they're facing now. I, I, I know black officers in this city right now who the pressure from their own mothers, the pressure from their mothers on should they be doing this job or not? Is their heart in the right place? Right. That, you know, to me, general generalizations is at the heart of this issue. You could look at what people think that all people think about some black people. You can look at what people think about all cops. If, generaliz if generalizations were true, we could look at Gavin Long being from Kansas City, so what? We should never, the people from Baton Rouge should never like anybody from Kansas City again? Does he represent everybody from this area? He doesn't. I think that we've got to stop that. But it, the, the issue will never change if good black men and good white men, good everybody, stops becoming police officers. I asked Ted James, Lamont Cole, Sandra Sterling the same question last week about the Baton Rouge Police Department. Did they think the Baton Rouge Police Department was racist? Mm -hmm. All of them said no. Uh, Sterling and Representative James said flat out no. 
There was some nuance to Lamont's answer, but the end result was he did not think the police department was racist. However, the undertone of a lot of what was said week before last and last week was that the, the police department targets young black men. Now, I see your expression. I see how much that annoys you to hear that, right? And I have backstory on how much you've done to the extreme opposite of that because we, we've been together on a couple of them. Right. But when you heard that, when you saw it nationally and you spoke against it, I was 10 feet from you when you were on CNN Sunday, Kelly, but when you spoke, when you hear it, what's your reaction? That this is about behavior. It's not about race. Because white officers that I've worked with will put themselves in harm's way for a, a black man, white man, blue man, it, it didn't matter. Right. It didn't matter. It's about behavior. There are some people that work in law enforcement, as we know, that shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Just like every Pat other Inglade profession. said the same thing last week. Well, uh, like every other profession, you know? And, and Chief Inglade fired his share oh, yeah. of, of, of officers and put his share of officers in jail. I fired and incarcerated my share of officers as well. And the thing that I don't think people understand is that 90% of the complaints that we work on come from within the department. Explain. Meaning a supervisor writes a letter, a coworker writes a letter, a coworker tells a supervisor something, they start an investigation and then punch it up. It comes from within the department because we're, res we're responsible for each other. If I saw an officer doing something wrong, I've written letters on other police officers before I made rank. You know, I've, I've known of a lot of officers who have. I, I have one young man I think about. Uh, he was just a, a maybe a, a five, six year officer and a sergeant did something uh, at a scene. And he came back in and wrote a novel, man, <laughs> and, and, and got that, that guy s suspended. So. I know the chiefs that I've worked for, from Chief Bonanno through Chief Rogelio through Chief Ferris through Chief Inglade, and then on to me. Mm -hmm. They they held us responsible. Yeah, we were responsible, and if you didn't do it, they fired you. They weren't afraid to to tell you you were no longer a Baton Rouge police officer. So I think it's more about behavior. Sometimes we have officers that behave poorly. And sometimes we have citizens that behave poorly. Yeah, It's a combination of both. When it goes to hell is when you have an officer and a civilian behaving poorly at the same time. You know, I, I want to move on, but before I do, to that point, because you know a lot of the younger up-and-coming mm -hmm. class of electeds, business owners, you know, what have you. And to that same point, and you know, what Chief is saying about how that isn't the case, it's cultural, but I'm sure you hear it from the other end of the spectrum because even though people know this is your father, they're more likely to say something to you that they wouldn't say to him mm -hmm. about the police department he commanded for six years. So what's your reaction to the reflection of the department? You know, it, it hit home. It hits home for me and my own family. I have first cousins that are police officers, and I have first cousins that are convicted felons. And we have the conversations. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. W w explain that. All right. For me, I get it because I live with somebody who was chief of police in 30 years in law enforcement. 
they do not operate under the same laws that we do when they're in uniform. Explain. I'll let him explain it to the letter. Okay. But here's here's my here's what I'm saying. The laws that govern a civilian carrying a weapon with or without a concealed carry is completely different than how police officers function. It's, it's, it's based on different laws, it's landmark decisions, it's reasonableness, it's all of these things. And I'm not saying it justifies anything that has happened. I, I'm ready to find out everything on Alton just like everybody else. What I am saying is do the research. It's on your phone now. You don't even have to go sit down. You can look at it in your car, Google it, Google use of force, understand exactly. And I'm talking to some of our political officials and want to be political officials. Any subject matter in this world, people are telling you, we choose you to represent us. Go do the homework because at least if you're going to argue it, argue the fact. Don't argue what you think. Don't argue what you feel. Argue the fact. Now, okay. do we need to try to change some laws? I don't know. Can it be changed? How is it changed? Um, will this become a landmark decision case that does shift how use of force is, is, is mandated for police officers across this country? I don't know. But my argument is get the fact. Can we go to this place about the unknown? Okay. We know how the video ended. Publicly, the public doesn't know how the altercation uh, initiated. They don't know what was said, but based upon the end, what I, I sat in a meeting yesterday that was probably not the most productive use of my time <laughs> and listened to a discussion about this. And there are people who, there are, there are educated people who believe that there is a a practice among law enforcement agencies to teach a certain treatment of black men. Like it's not just something where you have a bad egg with a bad attitude. It's an institutional system of engagement. And there are people who believe that these officers went there with an attitude and instigated this fight with Alton Sterling and shot him in cold blood. And people have seen that and, and you've read it in a lot of places. So this is not being made up. This has gone from everywhere from credentialed analysts on television mm -hmm. to elected officials to just people with a Facebook or Twitter account. Right. So speak to that. You know, I, I want to I say this. In 19, maybe 89, 90, somewhere in there. I went to St. Petersburg, Florida, to the first ever diversity train to the trainer trainer class, mm -hmm. and it was a, a a professor of sociology who came up with this program just for law enforcement for law enforcement, and it was me and another city parish employee that they sent, and we came back, we put together the lesson plan that we had learned, and we started teaching diversity training to law enforcement in the early 90s. Every one of them, not just new people, but we started bringing diversity training with interpersonal skills, uh, how verbal judo, all of those things started coming about with our department. I don't know what other departments have done, 
But these are things that started in the late 80s, early 90s, and they have continued to evolve and be part of our in-service and rookie training classes to this date, teaching us how to use our mouth, teaching us how to deal with differences, how to uh, appreciate somebody for what they are and not what we want them to be, how to, uh, to use uh, tactical talk, winning words, verbal judo, all of winning uh, a simple word like, can you come over here and talk to me, please? You know, how to win the situation without hurting somebody. Because this department has been concerned about that for a very, very long time. All of this started back under the chief fairies in England. Fairies at the time, yeah. 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 You know, they, they've never let that go. I didn't let it go. We, we've enhanced but it. But people believe that we right. teach something different. But you know what? I, I don't know how to, how to change that. We've had civilian academies. When I was there, we did civilian academies where we invite the public to come in, and they would sit down and go through these civilian academies. And I know Chief uh, Inglay did it. I know Chief Ferris did it. We did that, and we would show you what we teach people. We would show you how we handle uh, moderate behavior, aggressive behavior, life-threatening situations deadly force encounters, we would give you, we would bring you through a quasi-police academy. Sure. So we could further educate our community. And maybe that's something that needs to be reinstated. Probably a good idea. Wednesday after the Alton Sterling incident, Minnesota, Philando Castile, and the aftermath of that video is, is, there's a live feed of all things of the aftermath of that on Facebook. She goes on her Facebook Live and is showing this live to anybody watching, and it is viral within a couple of hours. To me, this one seemed like a totally different situation. Which I still don't understand what viral means, but... I understand. We'll have a class after the podcast is over. I still don't understand that. Says the guy with almost 800,000 views... On a really right segment. i was in lafayette talking about that this morning it's like eight hundred thousand people have liked the video you're in but you don't I, know what I, viral I, I, means i don't know what it means let me go get a mirror <laughs> so so, <laughs> so the philando castile thing happens and this one is it seems different but your reaction was let's wait let the process be the process I, and I can't tell you how important that is. There's a thing called discovery that I would go to an investigation and everybody wanted to know what I had from the media to the family to everything. To show you how it works, Clay, I never made it to my brother-in-law. As many homicides as I went on, I thank God that I, my, I did, my granddaughter wouldn't let me leave the house that morning on September 4th of 2010. I never made it to my brother-in-law's scene, and I thank God for that. Why? She wouldn't let me go. It's not. I was getting. No, no, no. Dressed. But why? Why are you thankful? Why, you didn't why am go? I thankful? I'm thankful because I didn't interfere with anything. I didn't know what evidence they had. I never had them come in and show me. I never saw the shot spotter report. I never looked at any of the photos they took prior to court. When I saw 
when we sat down to go into trial is when I looked at and saw all of the evidence. So there was no possible accusation of corruption or corruption, bias on your wrong, part because you were nowhere near it. Because that's how discovery is supposed to work. Okay. We're not supposed to give everything out immediately because the DA has to take this and represent a case. Okay. And so you got to protect the evidence in the case. But I think today everybody wants the case to be Public. Like the OJ case, like the OJ we want to case. see it in real time. That right. that has been a good and bad about a lot of what's happening. Court TV right. started because basically the OJ case. Go right. ahead. I watched you. I listened to the podcast. I think it was you and Matt mm-hmm. Matt Williams, yeah. and you talked about the new OJ documentary. Right. Where now you have all of these things. How many years did it take for that? Twenty. Exactly. Twenty-two, the, as a matter of fact. The police departments are at a disadvantage to the community in the sense of it's an ongoing investigation. It is illegal for them to say anything. So they can't fight a PR war. They can't. And the only reason we know about how this ended is because a civilian got video and put it up on social media, made it public, free speech protection, before anything. I want to get to Dallas, but quickly, just one, go go ahead. I want to throw one thing out. Sure. When I became a young, uh, a a first-time police officer, brand new on a job, back in, in the early 80s, 83, there were no body cameras. There were no onboard dash cameras. It wasn't even thought of. But you know what I carried every day? I carried a tape recorder. Tape recorder. Every day. Yeah. Every day to protect me. Mm -hmm. I had a guy make a case. They didn't even make cases Mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. But... I put my tape recorder in my pocket. I remember us having this conversation. It was about that long and about that wide. He's talking about something that's about the size of a... With the little mini cassettes. Of a small picture frame. Right. And, you know, I I did that because I was always afraid of being accused of something. You know, and I learned that lesson the hard way. A lady said, I I, I did something at a traffic stop at Airline in O'Hammond. I'll never forget. I was a brand new motor man. I hadn't been on the job six months. And she made these accusations. And I'm like, I didn't do that, man. I didn't tell that lady anything. She cursed me out. You know, you come into this with hope and, man, just visions of what you're going to do for your community. And right out the gate, somebody's accusing you of saying and doing that you had nothing to do with. I knew it wasn't going to happen to me again. And I carried that. I still have it at my house. I know it doesn't work because I couldn't find the little, I you know, but that's the truth. He man. doesn't realize there's one on the iPhone. That's now. exactly right. You can, you I'll, can record I'll show it. him later. You can record it on your iPhone. No, it doesn't have a mini cassette. <laughs> no matter what they say at the house from now on, I'll just say I'm not as bad as Jeff. So uh, moving here to Thursday, uh, the Thursday after the Elton Sterling shooting in Dallas, there are there is a big protest going on, I believe, through downtown Dallas. And late in the evening, it appeared that there was a shooting. Well, we learned quickly with this one that not only was there a shooter, an active shooter at the time, that he but he was targeting law enforcement. And he shot about a dozen law enforcement uh, officers, killing five of them. Now, we were talking pretty much in real time as this stuff was happening on Thursday. And so I know what your response to all of that was. But for the benefit of people listening and to, and to both of you, when you saw this, I already know you were angry. People know people know that already. That's obvious. But what other emotions were there? 
If you shoot the police, you shoot anybody. Nobody's safe. No one. No one. There's something about taking aim on public safety. You're telling the world that everybody's fragile. It really, you really are. Uh, you, you, there's no protection. There's no protection. And he just gunned them down, man. Mowed them down and, and was armed to kill a hell of a lot more officers. A, a lot more. I mean, he was, he was armed to take out dozens. Right. Not right. just a dozen, but dozens. Right. And stood over officers. I mean, you want to talk about cold-blooded. Right. So what would you think, Kelly? You know, for me, what I started thinking then and that I really think now in the wake of the tragedy that happened in Baton Rouge on Sunday, I thought, is this about to happen across our country? Yeah. Is this the new thing? Is this a group? Um, is this group financing people? Are they training people? Um, are we, and this is just me talking. This is only my opinion. But I, I, I pray that it's not, and I pray that it's being investigated at the highest level of criminal justice in this country because there's some things that I've seen that the news played from the shooting in Baton Rouge, and you just wonder how a guy that was a life coach didn't really have a job, a trainer, no money in the bank, but took multiple trips out of country and had a $4,000 weapon, yeah. an Israeli handmade weapon, yeah. another $3,000. It doesn't make sense to me. So let's skip ahead to, well, before we get uh, to this past Sunday, you guys both heard Sandra Sterling, mm -hmm. uh, who's, who was in this room a week ago and sat with me to talk about the incident with Alton and the Baton Rouge Police Department. And she talked about her, her wanting peace here. I, I've admitted it everywhere I've gone and people have asked me about it that I was impressed with this lady. She blew me away. What'd you guys think hearing that? I mean, I know that you knew her already. That wasn't your first time hearing it, but what'd you think? No, I, I, I know Sandra. I, I know Miss Sterling, and uh, I, I believe that is very genuine. Yeah, I don't think she want anybody hurt. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I believe that. I, I feel like her compassion should be a model for anyone who's been through trauma. I, I just do not. With the nation watching, she has said repeatedly, "Stop the violence." Yeah, I, I admire. I'd do anything for. We get to Sunday as we sit here today to record this show. Somewhere after 8.30 in the morning, Baton Rouge time, on Airline Highway, which is fairly quiet on a Sunday morning, guys walking down Airline Highway, loaded for war, carrying a rifle. All this information is now a part of public record. And someone sees it, makes a call. Man with a gun walking down Airline Highway. He is engaged by a couple of officers, and he opens fire. And now Monday, the state, uh, state uh, police superintendent, Michael Edmondson, and Sid Gotro gave a walk around or kind of a play-by-play -play of what happened. I'm going to get to that in just a second with you because I'd like you to, you to talk with me about that. But first, I talked with you within five, ten minutes of this stuff going on. 
And uh, man, you were mad. I was mad. Not upset, not annoyed, not agitated, mad with two D's. Yeah. So first, it's an obvious question, but I'd like you to explain it. Why were you so mad? Same answer. If you kill police, if you target, shoot and kill law enforcement, nobody's safe. Nobody. And the way the information was coming to me, I, I woke up with a gut feeling that morning. Yes. Talk, tell, explain that because I referenced it earlier. I, I had a late night Saturday, so I slept in. And uh, 8.30, 8.33 to be exact, my eyes popped open, and I was in a panic. I was like, man, something's wrong. Something, something's deadly wrong. And I thought about, wow, something's going on. So I rolled over, I grabbed my phone, and I text someone who I know wouldn't know if anything was going on. It's like it just woke me up. And uh, so my text was simple. How's things going? Real quickly, they text right back. Quiet. Five minutes later, my phone's blowing up. Chief, they're shooting and killing us. We got officers on the ground on Airline Highway. I didn't know what part of Airline Highway. This stuff goes on for a few minutes. And I mean a few minutes where he's exchanging fire with law enforcement, hitting, as we know, law enforcement. And he has tactically laid out where he was going to be. He parks his car. He had set his exit strategy. He engages officers. And I want to talk about monstrous evil. And a member of the Baton Rouge Police Department's SWAT team pings him from 100 yards away through an obstruction, probably saving several more lives. Exactly. But from the time that that ended through the early part of the evening, people were still terrified in this town. Let me go back to that officer. Not only did he do that from 100 yards away, I know I couldn't have made the shot. I'm not that good of a shot to do that through all the obstructions that was in the way. But, man, he was taking fire. Bullets flying and hitting his, his unit. They, they examining that pole now that was holding up that sign, which was right next to his head. And this guy did not waver. Didn't flinch. Never flinched. His life, that's... I keep saying that we're willing to, to die. It could have been you, Clay, mm-hmm. that, he, that, that that man was shooting at. It could have been an active shooter killing our citizens. I promise you they would have done the same thing. He would not have passed it up. He would have stayed his ground just like he did that day and controlled his breathing and squeezed off that round just the same for you, for the lady next door, for the gentleman down the street. It wasn't just because it was a policeman that he was that brave. It's what he was made to do. 
What do you say? You know, for me, I, I want people to understand that my father's outrage is just not for the fallen officers. That's obvious. I think for both of us and a large majority of the black population in this city and the white population in this city, I think the, the most hurt and the most frustration, along with the officers dying, is watching this great city fall apart. Hmm. You know, a lot of the good folks on both sides of the lines, people that cried for Elton, people that cried for Matthew, Montrell, Garifola, and are praying for Nick, they did it for all of them. But those people go to work every day, they're focused on family, they may or may not be on social media, they don't wave a flag. You rarely see them or hear from, from them, but I believe that that is a very large population of this city and is what makes this city great. And for me, alongside the blood being on the ground, I, you just in that moment, I think everybody said what is happening in Baton Rouge. What is happening in Baton Rouge? I looked at my seven-year-old, my five-year-old, and I mean, it puts tears in your eyes to think about what world are they living in? And if you're not trying to do something to make it better, you're part of the problem. That evening, we talked a lot during the day on Sunday. That evening, you did uh, some national news talking about what was happening here. And I don't know that anyone really knew how to handle this. Now, there is a part two to this that I want to get into, but there are some areas I want to go into that it's too soon, like talking about the hospital and mm -hmm. what was going on there because y'all were there. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to do that now. These men uh, have not yet been have, have not yet have had their their lives celebrated mm -hmm. by their families, and I just kind of feel like I don't need to be in a rush to talk about that because, out of respect to them, you know, I showed Alton Sterling's family respect in that time because the man died right regardless of what you think about how that outcome ended this lady sitting in here is mourning his loss i think we should do the same thing show the same respect for law enforcement but having said that there is a narrative by some that this cannot be a distraction that people should not take their eyes off of what what the justice we want to get right I don't know how death of officers can be a distraction. And I, here's my thing. If anybody wants to be a leader in this community, lead. And you can't lead by thinking that any death should be ignored. There was a drive-by shooting last night yeah. in this community. Yeah, I'm upset about that. Yeah, I, I have not said still yet today. I'm ready to know about that. They all have to matter. I think we need to be careful as to who we choose to be our leaders. Clay, I've hugged more hands and more necks and sat with more people. The only other person I can think of in this community that's done it more is Hillamore. I've cried with families because their baby's blood is running down the street. And it impacted us. I held their hands and made them promises. And we worked hard, I promise you, to try and bring justice. Can you solve them all? No. 
I did it for three of my officers who were killed in the, and died in the line of duty, Terry, Chris, Mark. I think our compassion, the compassion that I possess for this community, I could tell anybody, if they don't agree with it, you're blind. I didn't do it for political gain. I didn't do it for anything special other than I think that's what a man is supposed to do. I think that. I think you're supposed to care when anything bad happens in your community. Tonight starts a mourning period for those of us who wore a badge. It starts a mourning period for those of us in this community who care about our future. It starts a mourning period for anyone, anywhere, who cares about this city. So everything else, everything else, we have to make sure if you want to have protests, do the protest the right way. Let these guys go and bury their friend, their coworker. Let these people bury their family without there being a chance of another body lying on the ground. This is not about sides anymore. Nope. It's not. It's not about sides. It's about people in this community deciding that, listen, we're going to make a stand. We're going to change it. They can't write any laws in Washington, D.C. or at that state capitol down the road that will change this like human beings can. Do something kind for somebody, man. That's what I want to talk about. The video that, uh, and I have shared it and gotten a ton of response on the way that I've shared it. Many people have. Uh, I was in one of those, because I, I kind of saw it just after the news because uh, WAFB posted it almost immediately after the newscast. This was in their uh, 640, I believe, news segment, so it went up immediately. I saw it not long after it happened and shared it, and the only comment I put was strong because hmm. that's what it was, strong. Hmm. And by, by, by the middle of the day, it had gone viral. Hang on, let me take a sidebar. That meant that it spread quickly, okay. gone viral. Okay, I'm just, I didn't have a fever, so I didn't know. <laughs> so it's all over the place. And the crux of the video was you basically saying people have to have the courage to engage and or embrace people who are different from them. That's all I'm asking. And I'm not asking you something that I don't do on a regular basis. I've been retired six years. But I do it all the time. To the young man with the hoodie on and his pants hanging down, I'll reach my hand out. Because maybe I can say something to him. I said to the gentleman driving the nice Mercedes as well that's on his way obviously to some nice office and ending up at some nice home. I'll extend my hand to him. I think that we are all the same once we get the minutia out the way. You start with a simple question. My name is Jeff. What's your name? 
Man, I love that car you're driving. Man, I like that belt you got on. If you give somebody something, you find a common ground, and it's working. I had a gentleman call me and said that he tried it, and he's met a new friend. He's met a new friend. They exchanged phone numbers. They are totally different, different in age, different in race, different in social economic settings. They're different, but they start a relationship. I had somebody call me from Washington and said that a gentleman who happened to be white, he tried it on, he, he just introduced himself to a kid walking in the opposite direction who had dreadlocks below his butt. And they found out that they both have a love for reggae music. They got together later that night. Why? Why can't we just love and treat each other with some respect? Pretty simple question, huh? People say it don't work. It's worked for me for 60 years. 60 years. How you gonna tell me it can't work? Is there been racism? Yeah, man, I'm not, I don't live in a vacuum. I've been black 60 years. I know there's injustices and there's things that, that need to change. But just because somebody wear a uniform, they take an oath to protect you. They don't take an oath to hurt you. They didn't. The, the laziest police officer I ever known would not do what people are accusing us of doing. And I say us because once you do this, you can't let go. People ask me why I was at the hospital. Why was I at the hospital? Because I couldn't be out there on the line. If they would have given me a somebody to raise my hand and let me swear back in, I'd have been on airline highway. That's where I wanted to be. I don't know, man. I think it's simple, Clay. Gentlemen, uh, for people, because can't top that and not even going to try, <laughs> if people want to learn more about Open Eyes, and I do, once we have laid these men to rest, have you guys back here to talk about the healing part of this. If they want to learn more about Open Eyes, how can they reach you? Uh, because I know that people have already been calling and you're already servicing clients now. How can they reach you? Um, we have a website, uh, www.openeyesafetytraining.com. Uh, simple enough. You know, I really want people to look for what we're going to do with this message. We're going to do something with this message. Um, it, it's from the heart. It's what we want to do. We have to figure out how we can make it become a thing. But I think we have something with this. I think you do. And I think we will. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff and Kelly LaDuff, part one, our part two of our conversation is going to happen because I think that's where we are right now. You have to have the balls. As and I mean that figuratively as a person to want to be in the trenches, talking about it 
alone. It's just not enough. It's not. It's Thank not. you, gentlemen. I appreciate y'all coming in. Thank you. Back to wrap up in just a moment. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back again with Kelly Ledeff. You know, we we talked a lot about the last few weeks here in Baton Rouge. And, uh, Kelly, we've since seen three officers buried now, and everyone is holding out hope for uh, the other officer who is um, who is in a tough spot right now. And there's a lot of conversation about Baton Rouge and where we are and what's going to happen here. But a... Other conversation is happening about the unity of the city. And we talked about the video with your father and how it really has sparked people to stick together. Yeah. And in that vein, we kind of have this thing that we're talking about doing. Yeah. That I think will give voice to people who want to say we are better together, if I may use that phrase. I think that's it. Exactly. Um, You know, and just just watching the funerals and uh, hearing what what everyone has to say Mm -hmm. from the family members, the elected officials, the chief of police. And for me, more importantly, the families. Yeah. You know, these are the people that are paying the ultimate price. Right. Their loved ones and them. They're, They're the ones that are doing without. If in this time they can say that we need peace and harmony in this city, I think we should do the same. And uh, I think what my dad said on WAFB, it was something that we talk about all the time. And uh, I talked to him early that morning. I was going to do an interview at the same time. And I told him, I said, say it. Yeah. You know, say it. When you go talk to Matt, say it. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad he did. You know, anyone that knows my father knows he's an emotional man. Yeah. Um, He's either going to be really, really mad or have a tear in his eye. There's really no in between. And I love that about him. Mm -hmm. I think the city can appreciate that compassion. I think they always did. Um, but I think the idea that we have needs to be heard. We need to do it. Well, we're talking about a concept named the unbroken chain with the theory that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And we're, we're not going to give all of it away right here on the podcast right now because we've got some other things in mind. But it's just a chance for people who look differently to express the fact that we are better when we stick together, when we try to understand one another. It's not about trying to be perfect or trying to be Pollyanna about the way the world works. We get that there are fools out there and there's bad and everything. But for the most part, people want to go to work, raise their families, and just live a happy life. And they're not concerned about some of the negativity that's around right now. And I'm going to tell you, you know, the phone calls and the emails that we've been getting, first of all, thank you for that. For the people that are going out of their way to go to our company website or to get in touch with us any kind of way that they can. Right, right, And and just a few of the stories. I mean, they're so touching when you get a 41-year-old fire captain who's a black male in this city Mm -hmm. who calls me. He's doing one of our favorite things, smoking a cigar. He's at Church Hills. He said he looks down the bar and he sees an older white guy. Yeah. He says, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to do what Chief LaDuff said. Yeah. 
Long story short, he calls me. He says, man, I go over, I talk to him. He actually calls me with the guy right there wow. in the background. And the guy says, man, we have talked for three hours. We've exchanged <laughs> numbers. And Sunday, we're meeting at the park, you know, off of airline. And, yeah. and we're going to go let our kids hang out. Yeah. That's a bond. That's And that's what we're talking about here. And, you know, with this thing that we're doing when we explain the concept and the way that you'll go about it, I think it's innovative because I've not seen it done anywhere else. No, me either. Me either. And I think it's 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 a perfect teaser to let everybody know. And listen, we talked about it at the beginning of the show, but let's mention it again. The name of your company is Open Eyes. How can people learn more about it? The website is www.openeyesafetytraining.com. And we've got information about a fundraiser that we're going to work together on. There, there are several of them, and we encourage people to help every one of them because these families have now got to go on without these men. Absolutely. And you, know, you can't do enough for men who've given their lives in defense of this city and in service to this city. So we want you to help them out. And probably, maybe within the next week, we'll be coming back to talk more about this. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And understand, we know that the, the bigger problems need much bigger solutions. Absolutely. But we want to get the ball rolling. For me, Clay, I, I want the city to try to get better, and I have to play my part. We all have to. Absolutely. You know, if it doesn't get better by the time my kids, who are five and seven, if it's not better for them, I won't be able to look at myself. Well, you know, it's it's about us and what we do now. We yeah. can talk about it or we can do something, and we choose to do something. Yep. Man, I appreciate you you guys and, and what you're doing, and I'm looking forward to this thing we're about to make happen. Hey, I think it's a great idea. Thank you for your help. Catch you guys next week. Don't forget, you, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can go to the website, podcast225.com, and you can hear us on the Talk 107.3 mobile app. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.